Well, I'd like to wish everyone a Merry Christmas, and it is always an exciting time of year to be uh, in the house of the Lord the Sunday right before we get ready for Christmas, and of course, we are going to be here one more time on Christmas Eve. Everyone is welcome to join here on Christmas Eve, 7 o'clock, and uh, we're looking forward to that. It's also a great opportunity to invite our, our neighbors, invite our friends. Uh, it's one of those celebrations that almost everyone is willing to come and be a part of, and so it's a great opportunity for us as well to share the light of Jesus' birth with everyone. So let's, let's take that upon ourselves uh, this coming week as well. I would also like to uh, say it's great to see some guests here today from the Wolf family. Uh, great to have you here with us. Uh, great to see a few returning students home. Uh, Ryan's here, Paul's here, Karen's here, and I think Mark's in the back, and a few others that I might be missing, but welcome home for Christmas. And Henry and Dina, it's great to have you here uh, as well. So i uh, just like to acknowledge you and also like to say happy birthday to Roy and uh, hope you have a great day. So, uh, yeah, it is great to be here and to share God's word with you, so would you bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this season. Thank you that it is a time of year unlike any other where we are very clearly drawn, Lord, to the central truth that you came into this world to seek and to save the lost. That you, Lord, came in humility. You came, Lord, as the lowliest of lowly. And yet, Lord, you came to show us how to live. And as we look at your example, we see, Lord, the path for us, that in you we have everything we need. And so we pray now, Lord, as we enter your word, would you illuminate it for us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit? Would you give us each understanding uh, to apply it to our lives, Lord, to our unique situations. And we pray for that now in Jesus' name. Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Everyone knows the opening lines to Bing Crosby's most famous of songs, White Christmas. I'm sure if I started to sing it, probably everyone could sing it along with me, but I will save you from that this morning. But we all know the line. It goes, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones I used to know, where the treetops glisten and children listen to hear sleigh bells in the snow. This song has, for generation, conjured up for many people the warm, sentimental feelings of Christmas, those childhood memories, perhaps, of a Christmas in a bygone time. But the saddest of all ironies is that Bing Crosby's own children recounted that their Christmases were anything but warm or exciting. His son, Lindsey Crosby, described his father as a distant, severe man who worked him especially hard during the holidays. Lindsey was given extra chores at the family ranch and was whipped by his father if he didn't work hard enough. He lived in constant fear of those beatings. 
But even worse, he says, were the verbal floggings, the names, the insults, the belittling put-downs. They seemed especially harsh at Christmas. The memory stayed with Lindsay all his life, coming around to torment him like demons every Christmas. There was no avoiding it. His father's movie, which some of you may have seen, White Christmas, it would play on the television. The song would play on the radio and at the shopping mall. Everyone would constantly tell Lindsay how lucky he was to have a father, a famous father, like Bing Crosby. Unable to cope, Lindsay turned to alcohol. He reportedly said, I hated Christmas because of Pops, and I always will. It brings back the pain and the fear I suffered as a child, and if I ever do myself in, it will be at Christmas time. That will show the world what I think of Bing Crosby and his white Christmas. One friend described Lindsay this way. Lindsay was never able to find happiness. He became a hard-drinking troublemaker who went from woman to woman but couldn't find peace or success. Finally, on December 11, 1989, at age 51, Lindsay watched Bing Crosby's White Christmas for one last time. And as the credits rolled, he put a gun to his head and ended his own life. Less than two years later, Lindsay's brother Dennis also committed suicide by a gunshot. How sad, isn't it, that though Bing Crosby's White Christmas and his Christmas music brought warmth and happiness to countless people, all that his own children experienced from him was cold and dark. How tragic that though he became famous by singing about Christmas, He never appears to have experienced the life-changing presence of Christ within. His life was lived in the spotlight, but his heart remained in the darkness. And as a result, his sons also suffered in the darkness and were finally swallowed up by it. John chapter 1 verses 9 to 11 describes our world this way. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world... And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The reality is that we live in a time and in a place where the light of Jesus coming into this world has been made known to almost everyone. Here in Canada, the story of the incarnation, that is God becoming flesh, coming in the form of a little baby. That story has not been hidden away. It has not been outlawed or tucked away into some corner. It can be shouted from the rooftops. And in fact, in most places, it has been. And yet amongst us and all around us, we still find people living in darkness with little or no hope. People who feel lonely, who feel unappreciated, taken advantage of, or simply forgotten. People whose spirits are numb and are simply going through the motions, believing that their lives truly don't matter, that they have no significance. And of course, this being Christmas and all, most people will still try their best to put on a smile, to get in the holiday spirit, and they'll fake it, and they'll go through the motions. But the true joy and inner peace that we sing of at this time of year eludes them. Could it possibly be that just... As for the people of Israel at the time of Jesus' birth, could it be that 
when we speak of us as a nation here in Canada, that like Israel, we see the light, but we too don't understand it. We see the Savior, but we don't recognize him. Could it be that like Israel, we believe that we can see, we believe that we're in the light, but that in fact we are wandering blindly in the darkness? Catherine Marshall, in her book, tells the story of how her husband was called to the Lord's service. She relates that one dark night, her husband Peter, then a young man, decided to take a shortcut across the Scottish moors. He knew that there was a deep, deserted limestone quarry in that area that he was traveling through, but he was confident that he knew the lay of the land well enough that he could avoid it, even in the pitch black of night. As he was wandering across through the area that he was traveling, he suddenly heard someone call his name in the darkness. Peter! There was a great urgency in the voice, and so he stopped in his tracks, and he called out in the darkness, Yes? Who is it? Who's there? What do you want? There was no reply. Slightly unnerved by this, he decided he'd better keep going. So he walked a few more steps and then heard the voice calling still more urgently, Peter! He paused, then stumbled and fell on his knees. Putting out his hand to catch himself, he found nothing there. His arms flailed into thin air. He was at the very edge of the abandoned stone quarry. Just one more step, and he would have plummeted to his certain death. In the same way as him wandering through the darkness, confident that he could find his own way, When we try to wander through this life without the light to guide us, it is equally as dangerous, if not more so. But thankfully, like Peter, if we recognize God's voice calling our name, we can stop and turn back before it's too late. Because essentially, that's truly what Christmas is all about. Christmas is God standing, as it were, on the edge of heaven, calling our names. Calling out Danny. Calling out your name. Can you hear him calling you today? Saying, stop, turn to me before it's too late. Turn and come into the light of my love. Receive my son. John chapter 1 verses 11 to 12 says, He came to that which was his own. But his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You see, God is a father who is deeply concerned, deeply concerned about those out in the dark. God is like a father standing out in the porch with the light on, wondering, where is my son staying? The night is dangerous. The night is dark. Come home to the light, my son. And as we think about that, we consider that he sent his only son out on a rescue mission into enemy territory to bring us in from the dark and into the light of his presence. You see, though Jesus was sent from heaven to earth, The earth was not where he came to dwell. No, he came to dwell in us. He came born in a stable so that we could be born into God's family. 
Ron Hutchcraft tells a well-known story of a little boy named Harold. Harold wanted to be in the annual Christmas play, which was always a big production in his little town. However, Harold was a troublesome sort of boy, always getting into mischief, always causing some sort of disruption, so the director worried as to what role they could trust little Harold with. They finally decided to give him the part of the innkeeper. All he had to say was these simple lines, I'm sorry, there's no room in the inn. There was no possible way that he could screw that up. They were sure of it. And so entrusting him with those very few words, the night of the big play came and the church was packed. The play began and progressed to the moment where Mary and Joseph came and knocked on the innkeeper's door. The door jerked open and the suddenly nervous Harold stood there paralyzed with stage fright. Unable to utter a word, he just stood there with big eyes. Finally, with some prompting from the backstage, he finally blurted out, I'm sorry, all the rooms are full and there's no room for you here. (laughs) Well, Mary and Joseph turned sorrowfully away, began to walk off the stage when all of a sudden the door of the inn swung open and Harold shouted out in a voice so loud that everyone could hear, Wait a minute, come back. You can have my room. Even though it wasn't in the script, Harold's little revision to the Christmas story was never forgotten. Everyone remembered the day when Harold shouted out, You can have my room. Because after all, isn't making room for Jesus the whole point of why he came? He came to be received. He came to dwell in us. You see, the world was not interested enough to provide a room for the Savior. But like Harold, you and I, we don't have to follow the script either. You can give him room. You can give him your room, your life. Have you recognized the Savior? Have you seen him for who he truly is? Have you received him into your life? Have you allowed him to dispel your darkness. In John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus said this, I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. That is his mission statement, my friends. He came into this world as a light, so that no one needs stay in darkness. And Jesus' offer still stands for us today. Believe in me, he says. Believe in me and I will light up your life. Receive me and I will shed light on your darkness and I will illuminate the path for your life. Yet to all who received him, John writes, to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of a human's decision or a father's will, but born of God. Let this Christmas perhaps be your first true Christmas. Receive Jesus. Put your faith in the Savior and be born again into God's family. As a child, as a son, or as a daughter. Now I want to speak for a moment to those of us here today who have already been born into God's family. We've been reborn into the light. But even having been reborn and confident that we are a son or a daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, even there, 
we still find ourselves struggling with the darkness. We find ourselves still struggling with the darkness both without and within. What does the light of the world mean for us? Well, I want to say that principally the light of the world means to us as believers two things. First, it means we must walk in the light. And secondly, that we must shine the light. 1 John chapter 1, verses 6-7 to seven says, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. Walking in the light. I want you to consider just a slight twist on the Christmas narrative that would have changed things drastically. I want you to consider what might have happened if the wise men had returned to King Herod and told him exactly where to find the baby Jesus. What would we think of the wise men had they done that? Had they returned to King Herod rather than departing to their country by a different way? What would we think of them? Obviously, that would change our perspective on the three so-called wise men drastically. We wouldn't think of them very highly at all had they then gone on to betray the newborn king. That even though we would still see the story of them seeing the star, following the light, pursuing the light at tremendous personal cost, tremendous investment and going on this journey, then finding the baby, worshipping the baby, giving him gifts, expensive gifts, not the kind of gifts that you buy at the Red Apple. (laughs) We're talking they gave of their best, gold, frankincense, myrrh. Even though if they had done all of that, but then gone on to betray Jesus to King Herod, we would not think well of them at all. And why is that? Why would we think of them so poorly? Because though seeking the light and worshipping the light is admirable and good, betraying the light is not. But thankfully, the wise men did not do that. Instead, the wise men stand forever as an example that no cost is too high, no effort too great to pursue the light at all cost, to worship the light, and then to walk in the light. And the same holds true for us. Once we have seen the light of Jesus and we have entered into that light, returning to the darkness, returning to sin, is to betray the light. To do so is simply not an option, John says. If we walk in darkness, yet claim to have fellowship with the light, we are lying. We are not walking in the truth. You see, in order to truly walk in the light, we must remain in the light. We cannot return to the darkness of our sin. To do so is to live the life of a fake. And the only cure for a fake life is to return to the light of Jesus. Confess the lie and walk daily in the light of his presence, in the light of his word once again. Then secondly, once we are walking daily in his light, we must shine his light to others. In Matthew 5 verse 14, Jesus said to his disciples, You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden, Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone who is in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
We began this sermon with the tragic story of Lindsey Crosby, how he ended his own life. His famous father's harshness choking out the joy and light of Christmas to such an extent that all he experienced at Christmas was bitter and dark. And while granted it's an extreme example, I suspect that there are more people like him all around us. I suspect that there are more people like him than we could possibly imagine. People who are in desperate need of the light of Christmas, the true light. People who are living in a place of bitter and dark thoughts. People who hide their inner turmoil behind a pasted-on smile. What is God's will for the Lindsays of this world? What is God's will for those who are still living in the land of darkness? Yes, the light has dawned. The great light of the world is shining upon us even here today. But what is his will for those who have not yet seen it? For those who have not yet received it? What is his will? Here it is. God's will is that his children would shine his light into their lives. God's will is that you and I, the church, we shine into the darkness in such a way that it would be dispelled, that they could have the dawning of the light for themselves personally for perhaps the very first time. You see, we are God's plan. We're it. He has sent us, his children, bearing his name as sons and daughters into this world to shine the light into others. You see, through Jesus, God has already spoken his message of love into the world. He spoke it a long time ago. But who will carry that message forward? Who will shine the light to this generation if not us? Who will shine into the darkness if we hide our lights under a bowl? But then consider how even the deepest darkness can be dispelled by even the smallest flicker of light. Consider that when you shine your light through even the smallest of acts of kindness... Whether a word of encouragement, a deed of service, an act of compassion, it may well be the avenue that God uses to shine his light into someone's life and someday usher them into the light of his presence forever. Think about that. We can be used to be messengers of the light through the smallest of acts. There's an incredible story shared from a long time ago. The year was 1910. A terrible plague swept through eastern Czechoslovakia. The plague at the time was diphtheria. There was no known cure for it. And it devastated the little village of Velky, wiping out nearly half the town's population. Whenever a member of a family would show a symptom, a large black X would be swabbed on the doorpost of the house as a warning that it had been quarantined. Diphtheria was here. Stay away. The day came where the dreaded black X was painted on the doorpost of Jano and Susanna Baratkova. Their oldest child, a five-year-old daughter, was the first to show symptoms and the first to go. Even as Jano built her coffin, his two sons were also dying. It was the morning of Christmas Eve when first one then the other of the young boys breathed their last breath and passed away. 
Susanna broke into unrelenting sobs. She cleansed and wrapped them for the last time, carefully laid them into handmade pine caskets. They made their way to the cemetery through the biting December cold and foot-high snow, alone. No mourners to share in their grief. No minister to bring words of comfort. Everyone stayed away for fear of the contagious disease. There, standing at the graveside, they did their best to recite the Lord's Prayer. Wrapped in their own grief, they failed to notice on the return home the many houses that they passed, also marked with the black X of death. Returning home, Jano revealed that he was sick as well. For the sake of his family, he had kept himself functioning through sheer determination and willpower, but now relentless wheezing and coughing overwhelmed him, and he slumped down into bed. I won't see another Christmas, he said. I don't think I'll see the New Year in either. He pushed away the soup and bread, too hard to swallow. The diphtheria was choking him now, allowing neither food nor even sufficient air to sustain him for much longer. As though in a trance, Susanna didn't know what to do. She lit a fire in the hearth, certain that her husband would pass away that very night. Then a verse of scripture suddenly floated across her mind. I will lift mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Just as suddenly there was a knock at the door. Susanna cautiously opened the door, and there stood a peasant woman. A kerchief wrapped around her head and a jar of clear liquid in her hand. We have the plague in our home, Susanna said quickly, and my husband is in fever right now. The old woman nodded asked if she could come inside. She held out her little jar. It contained pure kerosene. She gave instructions on how to use it to induce vomiting to remove the deadly mucus that was slowly suffocating her husband. Then, having left her folk remedy, she said, Simply, I will pray for you and your family. With that, she turned and left. Susanna followed the little woman's instructions, and early Christmas morning, Jano's fever broke. Susanna felt the smallest flicker of hope. There were no presents under the Christmas tree that year. The little shoes still neatly lined up where the children had left them. But they had each other. They had life. And they had hope. Nothing else had been given to them that year but the gift of a small jar of kerosene and instructions on how to use it. But through that smallest act of compassion a little old lady had given them the gift of life. While Jano recovered, made a full recovery, and in time the Lord gave the couple more children, including a pair of twins and, unbelievably, a set of triplets. In fact, by the time they immigrated to America in the 1920s, they had eight healthy and energetic children in tow. And that story of that Christmas in 1910 is a story that has been handed down through the generations of that family. That under the shadow of death, the little peasant woman who came on Christmas Eve brought life. My friends, this is a beautiful picture of what God has done for us. Jesus came bearing the gift of life for a hopeless, grieving, dying people. He came and brought it to all of us whose doorposts are marked with the black X of death. 
He came and erased that. Put the mark of his son, the mark of life, the mark of light. And now we are told that in that light we can shine like stars in the universe. Shining forth the light that shone in the world for the first time 2,000 years ago. We are still shining that light today. And as we light these Advent candles, may we be reminded that as that light dawned all that time ago, we are still shining that light forward today. And so as we shine the light to others, remember that the smallest acts of kindness done in God's name can be the difference between life and death. Eternity can be changed. People can be brought from darkness into God's light forever when we are faithful to do what God is prompting us to do in even the little things. Remember, that's what happened when he came for us, when he came for you, and he came for me. Isaiah says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Have you seen the light? Has the light dawned in your life? And how great is that light? Is that light permeating every aspect of your life? Is it shining into every corner? Or are there still shadows you're hanging on to? Is there still darkness where you're not allowing the light to shine? Let it shine, my friends. It is a great light. It is not a flicker. It is a light that overcomes even the darkest of sins and will usher us one day into the eternal light of God's presence, a place where the sun is no longer required because God shines so brightly there is no need for the sun. Heaven will be lit by his glory. This is the glory that we are to reflect as we leave here today. May we do so with joy in our hearts this Christmas as we go into our families, as we go to celebrate. May we do it with joy in our hearts. May we reflect that great light to others. And so this Christmas, may you recognize the dawning of the light. May you receive the light for yourself. May you walk in the presence of the light. And may you shine the light for all to see. Amen. Father God, you are light. In you there is no darkness at all. The smallest speck of darkness is eviscerated, vaporized by your presence. Oh God, you are a mighty God. You are a great God. You are above us altogether and we worship you in awe and adoration. And we thank you, God, that in your great love for us, even as you are light and holiness and perfection, you looked into a dark and broken and imperfect world at us broken and flawed people, and you felt such compassion that you sent your Son to come on a rescue mission for us. And that great light that dawned in the world 2,000 years ago is still shining here today. And so, God, we pray that from your word and having been here this morning, that the light in our lives would shine more brightly as we leave here today than when we first came. Oh, I pray, God, that this church, that our light, Father, as we hold it up in this community, God, we would not hide it away under a bowl, but we would put it up on the stand for everyone to see that a great light has dawned. Not just a uh, okay light, not just a flicker, but a great light, a light that can, oh Lord, dispel the darkest of sins and bring hope to the most despairing of situations. 
And so, God, we pray for the Lindsays of our community. We pray, God, for those who are still living in the land of darkness. Lord, I pray for those who even here today are hiding their their inner turmoil behind a smile. Oh, Lord, would you bring peace and hope. Lord, would you bring the joy that only your presence can bring to a life, even for us here today, Lord. Would we leave here having known that we've met with you and felt your touch? We love you, Lord. Amen.